Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How are you? So good. I am great. Good. I'm the best. Amazing. And do you know why? Why? Because the poll's completed. It is, finally. What are the results? This was by far the closest poll that we've ever had on our Patreon. We had to do a poll part two. To, poll part two? Yeah, because I, I always give us three options. And this time, two of our options were tied for so long. And I had to give us a poll part two. That way we could give our tied options a second go around. And now we have our final winner. And that story is Donna Vulin. A little snippet about her story is after a jealous woman broke into her home and set her on fire, Donna Vulin suffered third degree burns to more than 60% of her body, but lived to tell her story. So we will be talking about Donna's story over on Patreon. So if you would like to hear that story, head over there and we're going to be talking about it. Oh, also forgot to mention it last time we had to talk about a bonus episode, but we've been doing Patreon for a year. So a little pat on the back to us. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's actually insane. I know. I mean, we've been doing it over a year now, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. The passage of time. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's just crazy. I mean, how old's the podcast now? Over two years. I mean, like, well over two years. Yeah, well over. Two and a half years? Anyway, why don't we jump into the story this week? We're going into new territory, kind of. We've never really talked about poison, so shall we? Uh, yeah, I don't want to be like, I'm interested. I'm not like too excited about people being poisoned, but I am interested in what the story might be. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a happy story. Yeah, it's not like a cat getting saved by a fireman type no. story. Maybe we should talk about some pet hero story soon. Maybe we or something. should. We haven't done one of those in a while. Do you remember the ducks? I do remember the ducks. Still my favorite story. Yeah, we should maybe do a, a loop around for one of those yeah, no, we should figure out which episode that was. For what? I'm gonna go, for me. <laughs> so I'm going to go, go back and listen. So you can go back and listen to the Doc I story? I mean, we have hun- like over 100 episodes. There's no way I'm going to find it. <laughs> sure. Um, but anyway, why don't we jump into this week's story? This week, we're going to be talking about the Stouty family. Stouty. Yes. Mark and Diane Stouty first met in 1984 at a bluegrass music festival while they were in college. The two first bonded over their love for music and then quickly fell in love. They married on December 28, 1985, and moved to Springfield, Missouri when Diane was pregnant with their first child, Sean. They joined Redeemer Lutheran Church and meshed well into the community. Diane was very involved with the church, especially when it related to music. She played with her daughter, Rachel, in the praise band for years. She played the organ in the church on Sundays, and her faith in general was very important to her. Music was also a really large part of Mark's life. Growing up, he always had a talent for it, and in his adult life, he spent a good amount of his time as the lead singer and guitarist of a local blues band called Messin' with Destiny, and he also wrote songs in his free time. By all accounts, Diane was a busy person. Aside from attending church, she worked as a nurse and looked after her four children. Together, Mark and Diane had four kids, Sean, Sarah, Rachel, and youngest, Brianna. 
In 2012, all six of them lived in their small three bedrooms, one bathroom home together. With only 900 square feet, it was tight quarters. But as far as anyone knew, they were a normal, happy family. However, one of the Stouty children seemed to stick out above all the rest. Now, I'm not a mother, but I can imagine you're not supposed to pick favorites. And if you do, you shouldn't really let on which one it is. But when it came to Diane, it wasn't difficult to know which of her children it may have been. 22-year-old Rachel was plastered all over Diane's social media pages. Every accomplishment, her art, her academics, everything she did was published on Facebook. From the outside looking in, you might think, wow, that's a really lovely mother-daughter relationship. But Diane wasn't posting like that about any of her other children or her husband Mark. Although things seemed to look fine from the outside, the family had its issues and hardships, as any family does. Sean, who was 26 years old and the oldest of the Stouty children, was on the autism spectrum and still living at home. Sarah, who was almost a university graduate at that point, had a lot of student loan debt and no job, and Brianna had learning disabilities of her own. And Diane and Mark's marriage also wasn't great. Diane was the breadwinner for the family, and although Mark would pick up some shifts bartending here and there, he would never hold down a job. Which wouldn't have been the biggest issue if he had been doing the homemaking duties, but that also fell on Diane. She was doing the majority of the cleaning and taking care of the children on top of, you know, making the money for the family. So let me ask this. What is he doing? He was going and playing in the band that he was in, and I think having a hard time. I don't know exactly. Okay. Well, you have children. Correct. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was the best situation at that point. There was a lot of stress. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, she's breadwinning and I mean, she's got a full-time job and four kids. Yeah, I think he was. It wasn't like he was a complete deadbeat. I don't think he was helping out like here and there, but it just wasn't like as much as he maybe should have been. Yeah, It seemed like there was stress. Gotcha. Yeah. But one thing that was going well for Mark was his band. In April of 2012, Messing with Destiny was booking semi-regular gigs in Branson, joining the Aretha Franklin impersonators who were plastered on the marquees, which was pretty significant gigs. Hey, Naughties, we want to tell you about a podcast called Foul Play Crime Series. Shane Waters hosts Foul Play Crime Series and started it back in 2014, which makes it one of the first true crime series podcasts. The podcast is a guided one case per season crime series that covers almost exclusively cold cases with a few exceptions. Shane drives his mystery machine Tesla all over the U.S. to work on the cases he covers for the show. So you'll get to hear firsthand accounts from witnesses, detectives, family members, and sometimes even surviving victims. Over the span of 14 seasons of Foul Play Crime series, Shane has solved a serial killer case from the 80s, identified three Jane Doe victims, and season two of the podcast was even turned into the Netflix series The Keepers. And now he's up to season 17. That's amazingly insane. And he actually has a mystery machine Tesla. I know. It's actually blue and has the flowers. Check out Foul Play Crime Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And around that time, it was his birthday weekend as well. And that night at rehearsal, Mark's best friend and bandmate Charles noticed that Mark was very out of whack. It wasn't like Mark was drunk or anything. He just seemed very off and he wasn't sure why. 
The next day, it was a Saturday afternoon, and Mark showed up at Charles' door and told him that he was there to celebrate his birthday. And that wasn't weird, but what struck Charles as really odd was Mark's skin color. His skin was a shade of yellow. And he wasn't sure what was going on, but he felt like something was very wrong. And Charles was right. On April 7th, Sean, his son, made a Facebook post that said, My father is slowly getting sicker. His voice is slurred. His walking is wobbly. The next day, which was Easter Sunday, Diane came home from church to find her husband dead in bed. Diane told authorities her husband had been sick and refused to see a doctor. She said he had been feeling weak for the last few days, eating less, and sleeping more than usual. And although he had no prior history of seizures, Diane said he had suffered several that day. She said she hadn't called 911 because Mark had told her he didn't want to see a doctor. And there was this odd ring of blood around Mark's mouth, but it wasn't enough for medical examiners to find anything suspicious and determined that Mark had died of natural causes. There was no autopsy done, no testing, he was cremated, his ashes were scattered at a lake, and that was kind of that. Okay, well, because we're talking about this, something shady went on. They cremated him immediately after? I mean, Diane just, had him cremated, yeah. Did they know that he was having seizures? She, like, she told that to them? Yeah, I guess, yeah. She said he had seizures that day, but... I mean, this was obviously a shocking death, but it wasn't entirely out of the realm of possibility that he died of natural causes at that age. He was 61 years old, so sure, it was younger than he should have maybe died, but he didn't really exercise, he didn't cook for himself, his eating habits were not great, he was a smoker, he was a diabetic, he... Oh, okay. And even though he wasn't very old, he wasn't the healthiest he could have been. So it's like he shouldn't have died, but also he wasn't super healthy. Mm. And there there were reasons why he maybe would have dropped dead, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess this makes more sense. But yeah, just because we're talking about it, like I'm like already on but, the suspicion. No, for sure. And you're right to have that suspicion because we're talking about it here, obviously. And there was that ring of blood around his mouth that really shouldn't have been there if he died of natural causes. But it didn't really raise any red flags at that point. Okay. When Charles found out that Mark had died, he couldn't believe it. Diane held a memorial service at Redeemer Lutheran and had Messin' with Destiny play in Mark's honor. And it was a really sad day. But as the family coped with Mark's sudden death, there was a small positive. They received a $20,000 life insurance payout, which was enough for them to move the family to a new neighborhood and a larger home. They bought a new house? Yeah, they moved to a bigger house. It was around that time that Diane had also begun working from home as a consultant for an insurance company. Rhonda Anderson, the church secretary, lived across the street from the Stoudy's new home. And one afternoon, she saw that their garage door was open after they had moved in. And she wanted to say hi and welcome them to the neighborhood. But she said as she started to walk over to their home, it was as if they looked at her and closed the garage door on her. And what was weird was that she could still see them standing there. So it wasn't like they were even going anywhere. It was just like they didn't want to talk to anybody. Diane mm. was described as being not so friendly. Like you could be in her driveway, but she didn't want to let you in her home. The Stouty family was just very private. 
And Rhonda didn't necessarily take this personally. She just let them keep to themselves. But only weeks later, on Sunday, September 2nd, 2012, Rhonda looked out her window to see the coroner's van and a few police cars were in the Stouty's driveway. When she asked what had happened, the officer told her that there had been a death in the family. This time, it was Diane's oldest child, Sean. He was only 26 years old. Diane reported her son had been experiencing flu-like symptoms for around three weeks. She had reportedly checked on him that morning at around 6.30 before leaving for church, and when she returned home, she found him on the floor of his bedroom without a pulse. She explained that Sean had a history of seizures, and although he was found with a ring of blood around his mouth, they determined there was nothing suspicious about his death either. They did perform an autopsy on Sean. However, it was decided his death was due to prior medical issues. Interesting. Okay. Even though this was the second death to happen in the Stoudy family in the last six months. At this point, people weren't starting to think someone was to blame here. Nobody was asking questions. They were just thinking, oh my God, what awful luck, this poor family. And I don't think I mentioned this um, with Mark's death. He had been also experiencing flu-like symptoms for the four days prior to his death. Okay, so both flu-like. So both of them had been experiencing flu-like symptoms, and then they dropped dead. What were Sean's prior medical complications? He would have like seizures periodically. And then like they said that he died of a seizure. Wow, okay. So at this point, people are thinking this family has awful luck. Yeah, 26 is so young too. It is. After police left the scene, Rhonda went over to Diane's home and knocked on the door. And when Diane answered, she said, hey, I just saw the coroner's van was in your driveway. Is everything all right? And Diane answered and said, oh, yeah, my son died. Just so matter-of-factly. And Rhonda was extremely taken aback because Diane didn't seem distraught or even sad about what she had just said. And it was possible she was in shock, but actually Rhonda would be one of the only people Diane would speak to about Sean's death. She never held a memorial service, no funeral, not even an obituary. And like Mark, Diane had Sean quickly cremated. I mean, you don't even hold a funeral for him? I mean, I'm I'm having a hard time explaining that one. Yeah. Family relative Michael Stoudy revealed that there had not been any formal services to commemorate Sean and that he had only been informed of Sean's passing after another relative had discovered it. So family members had to find out about this passing through the grapevine. That's fucked up. Yeah. One of the band members of Messing With Destiny said that Diane was behaving like she was hosting a party. There was no sadness. I thought it was her way of grieving, but she was acting as if nothing was wrong. And her husband and her son died in the last six months. Just very strange. So now only the Stouty women remained. Diane, Sarah, Rachel, and Brianna. Once Sean died, the already private family became even more shut in. They barely stepped foot outside. Although among all of this darkness surrounding the Stouty family, there was some good news. The now oldest, Sarah, had just graduated college. And Diane celebrated that with a post on Facebook. But in June of 2013, the Stouty curse struck again. And this time, it was Sarah. Diane had found 24-year-old Sarah unresponsive in her bed and took her to the emergency room. When Sarah arrived at the hospital, she was knocking on death's door. 
She was in multi-organ failure and was put on life support. According to Diane, Sarah had started feeling sick the previous Saturday. Sarah's sickness had started with a mild headache and upset stomach, and she had thrown up a few times, but nothing too serious. The next morning was Sunday, so Diane, Rachel, and Brianna went to church and left Sarah home since she seemed to be asleep in bed. When they returned from church, she was still asleep. Diane didn't immediately think anything was wrong since Sarah's normal routine was to stay up all night and sleep during the day. But a few hours later, when Sarah was still unable to be woken up, Diane felt like something was wrong and they drove her to the emergency room. And upon arriving to the emergency room, Sarah was in very bad shape. Her kidneys were shutting down, her pancreas and other organs were failing, worst of all, her brain was hemorrhaging blood. It didn't seem like she was going to survive, and doctors could not figure out why. Diane went on Facebook and posted, quote, asking for prayers as my daughter Sarah is in critical condition. Diane's brother-in-law, Michael Stoudy, could not believe this post. Sarah had gone into the hospital in critical condition with the exact same symptoms that took Mark and Sean, and something just seemed off. Which is when the Springfield Police Department received an anonymous tip that Diane may have been responsible for the death in her family. They brought up that Mark and Sean's deaths were in very close proximity to each other and also spoke about the potential that Sarah was going to die as well. Springfield investigator Neil McAmis began investigating immediately. At first, he didn't want to believe that something like this would happen in his town. He saw that Mark's death had been determined to be from natural causes, but when he reached out to officers that were at the scene on that day, one of them had witnessed Diane step over Mark's body while he was on the ground, which he said was very odd and stuck out to him. He also noted that both Mark and Sean had rings of blood around their mouths at the time of their death, which raised a red flag and that Mark had been experiencing flu-like symptoms for several days before his death, as did Sean, and now Sarah. And at the hospital, Diane was not acting as you would expect a concerned mother would be. She was light-hearted and joking with people about taking a vacation. She told people that Sarah's quote-unquote situation wouldn't stop her from taking a vacation. <laughs> oh my god. Could you imagine No. talking to this woman? No. Do they know her daughter's in critical condition? Yes. God, that'd be so surreal. She's talking about taking a vacation. She's talking about Sarah's situation. She's like, oh, Sarah's like, situation won't stop me from taking a vacation. What? She's in multi-organ failure and her brain is bleeding. What honey, do you mean? I mean, Jesus, what a fucking lizard. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not human. Have you felt a single emotion about any of your family members dying? Sounds like no. Yeah, it doesn't seem Also, yeah, human. stepping over your husband's dead body, that's just, I don't know. I, I would, like in the beginning, I was really like, okay, she could be in shock. Like, don't judge people about how they grieve. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm a big advocate of that. Sure. And like, especially if people are using that as like evidence in court too. Yeah. I don't like that. But yeah. I mean, at some point you gotta... I got to flip here. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to look at something that's None like incredibly weird and be like, okay. None of third, like three strikes, right? Right. You are out, Diane. Right. Okay. Like, can you at least look nervous? Stop talking about Bali. Okay. <laughs> or something. Enough. 
Thankfully, though, police were finally connecting the dots. And when Detective McCamus went to the hospital, he and the doctor agreed that something bad had happened. Sarah's doctors had told him that they had run several tests and they could not figure out why Sarah was so sick, which led him to believe that they were dealing with a possible poisoning case. Detective McAmos waited a few days for the doctors to run tests on Sarah, but everything was coming back negative. And at that point, he felt like he couldn't wait any longer. He needed to question Diane and see what he could get out of her because he was worried about the rest of her family. So it was time to bring Diane in for questioning. And when he asked her to come with him, she went with them down to the station voluntarily. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. So you can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. With the cost of groceries going up and up, now is the perfect time to get started with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. With HelloFresh, you're getting seasonal ingredients picked at peak ripeness for quality you can taste. Ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know they're fresh. And for someone like me who can be slightly lazy when it comes to cooking, HelloFresh makes dinner time incredibly easy. Everything comes to you all ready to go, the instructions are clear and easy to follow, and then at the end you get a restaurant-quality meal. I look forward to cooking dinner for myself now, which I can confidently say never used to be the case. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NotToday60 and use code NotToday60 for 60% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash NotToday60 and use code NotToday60 for 60% off plus free shipping. This questioning was extremely weird from the jump. When he brought up Sarah, Diane talked about how she couldn't believe that she wasn't dead yet. She had looked at her lab reports and it seemed like she shouldn't be living. Her kidneys were shot, her brain was bleeding, her pancreas was acting up. She was as close to death as a person could be. And while she was saying all of this, she didn't seem upset at all. She even laughed when she said, it's bad. She was smiling and laughing during this interview. Diane told police that even though doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with Sarah, her first thought was maybe Sarah had gotten into something. Sarah is bipolar, so Diane was suggesting that maybe Sarah was trying to harm herself. But when she got home, she checked Sarah's pills, and she still had plenty left, so that ruled out overdosing on her medication. She tried to push Sarah's mental illness as the cause, but at this point, Diane had two other family members who had died under very similar circumstances. In this interview, Diane brought up household cleaners as one of the possible scenarios. She said maybe Sarah got into one of those, almost as a joke, but also was very much telling on herself with that one. And about 45 minutes into the interview, after talking about Sean, Detective McAmos brought up how the medical examiner still had some tissue that they could test of Sean's, and they were going to look into that. He said that they may be able to see if there were any chemicals that they could match between what was in Sarah's system and what was in Sean's. He then asked what she'd think if chemicals came back that were the same between Sarah and Sean. And she said the only explanation was that Sarah and Sean were close. <laughs> what? She's like, I mean, they were to, close. So To just say that you don't know would have been a better answer. Well, that was her favorite thing ever. That was her favorite answer was, I don't know. But 
her one explanation for what would it, what would you think if they had chemicals that matched in their systems? And she said, well, they were close, kind of insinuating that like maybe they were trying to kill themselves at the same time with the same chemicals. Right. She also told him that Sean had been threatening to kill himself. So she's insinuating that they were suicidal. Can anyone else corroborate that? Like, kind of, but no. What do you mean? <laughs> so Rachel kind of corroborated that in saying that Sarah at one point was potentially suicidal, but when she was in like middle school, but it wasn't any time recently. Okay. And at this point, you can't really say that Sean was because there's nobody to say that he was or wasn't and he's gone now. So you can't. Right. Yeah. But nobody like knew at least. No. Right. So she's like, well. Yeah, I don't buy it. Exactly. And they also talked about Mark in the interview. When their marriage came up, Diane told the detective that they were not happily married. Mark had apparently cheated on her. He would go out and binge drink. He would regularly smoke pot. She told him that he was also bipolar. He wasn't a good husband. She apparently didn't want to kick him out because she was scared that he'd kill himself. And even with all of his faults, she still loved him. So she's, you know, really laying it on thick here. Mark didn't work. She supported the family by herself. He spent his day playing music while she worked and took care of the children. And she felt a similar burden when it came to Sean, who was autistic and required a certain amount of extra care to get him through each day. Finally, there was Sarah, who spent her days sleeping and refused to get a job. And with this information, the detective decided that it was finally time to tell Diane what he actually knew. But the way that he started this part of the conversation was interesting because he sympathized with her. He told her that he knew that she was a good, God-fearing woman. He said that he too was a believer himself. And she was going through a hard time and she was pushed to the edge and people make mistakes and she had reached her breaking point. And when she finally did confess, she said, quote unquote, to put it really short and sweet, I knew they were drinking antifreeze. I was so mad at them. I didn't want to take them in. I delayed. You delayed? That was her confession. She said, I knew they were drinking antifreeze. So he basically told her, I know you're lying. You didn't just know they were drinking antifreeze. You were giving it to them. She said, I knew they were drinking it because I saw them drinking it. But he again tried to play on her, her morals, I guess, by saying the people who come in here and don't tell me the whole truth are bad people. But that's not you. You're not a bad person. You need to tell me why you know they were drinking it. So finally, she said that she didn't know what else to do. So she confessed to giving them antifreeze. She told him that she had given Sean and Sarah the antifreeze for a few days by putting a few teaspoons of it in bottles of Coca-Cola. And for Mark, it had been in his bottles of Gatorade. Unlike most antifreeze sold commercially for the general public, the antifreeze purchased lacked an added bittering agent that would have left a foul taste to anything poisoned by it. Diane said by the time she had come to the decision that she was going to poison her husband, she hated his guts. In her eyes, he was an abusive deadbeat, and according to Diane, he would throw things at her and the kids, and she had had enough. So this is all according to Diane. I don't have any evidence of that, but who knows? When it came to Sean and Sarah, her reasoning was the two of them would trash the house and neither of them ever tried to support or contribute to the family. 
Sean would interfere with everything Diane did, and she considered him to be more than a pest to her. But even through this part of the conversation, Diane seemed unfazed by everything. She didn't seem like a woman at her wit's end, ready to combust. She was very monotone, just matter of fact. And with Sarah, she just told her to get a job, and she hadn't yet. She had student loans that were piling up, and that was enough for Diane to murder Sarah. Wow. Or I guess attempt, because Sarah didn't die. But she had just graduated college, and she didn't have a job yet. And it was over student loans that weren't even hers? Yes. I think this woman's a psycho. We can't diagnose, so... Signs lead to yes, though. Who knows? Um, Tom Van Dieberg of the Green City Medical Examiner's Office said the reason they weren't able to pinpoint antifreeze earlier on was because when you have physical findings that match the story that was given, typically other organs aren't looked at microscopically, which is why they didn't detect antifreeze in Sean. And antifreeze in general is difficult to detect unless you're looking for it. But later tests did confirm that Sean's body did have the chemical found in antifreeze, ethylene glycol. According to Medical News Today, the chemicals in antifreeze are relatively non-toxic, but what makes it extremely dangerous is when the body metabolizes it into highly toxic alcohol byproducts. The ethylene glycol in antifreeze affects the central nervous system first. Early symptoms of antifreeze poisoning may appear similar to those of alcohol intoxication. These symptoms can include loss of coordination, slurred or jumbled speech, dizziness, fatigue, headache, euphoria, nausea, vomiting, seizures, coma. People generally enter the second stage of antifreeze poisoning between 12 and 24 hours after ingestion, and at this point, antifreeze poisoning will start to affect multiple organs, including the kidneys, brain, lungs, and liver. People in the second stage of antifreeze poisoning may experience an irregular heartbeat, shallow breathing, changes in blood pressure, dehydration, fatigue, confusion. The third stage of antifreeze poisoning occurs between 24 to 72 hours after ingesting it. And if a person does not receive treatment, a buildup of calcium oxalate crystals can lead to kidney failure or death. Diane said that she expected Mark and Sean to die immediately after ingesting the antifreeze. And when they didn't, she kept giving them more and more, which of course made them sicker and led to their death. Mom of the year. Oh God. Yeah, it's really awful to think about. So the same day that Diane was arrested, investigators brought Rachel Stoudy in and broke the news that her mother had confessed to killing her father and Sean and attempting to kill Sarah by giving them antifreeze. Rachel was stunned, but the silver lining through this was that Sarah had been making real progress and was looking like she was going to pull through. The detective told Rachel they didn't think that Rachel or Sarah had any knowledge of Diane's acts, and after they told Brianna about their mother, they would release her to Rachel. So now, with Diane in custody, police began searching the Stoudy home for evidence. They didn't know it yet, but a bomb was about to be dropped on this case. In searching the home, they found the antifreeze in the garage sitting directly next to a six-pack of Coca-Cola, which is exactly what Diane said she had been putting the poison in to give to her children. But the most shocking piece of evidence found that day was probably the most unassuming. It was a purple diary that had been haphazardly thrown on a shelf. 
The contents of this diary suggested that Rachel had not been telling the truth in her interview. In a diary entry dated June 13, 2011, nearly a year before Mark died, read, quote, It's sad when I realize my father will pass on in the next two months. Sean will move on shortly after. It will be tough getting used to the changes, but everything will work out. Wow. Ominous. So Diane was still to blame, but now they knew that not only did Rachel know that it was going to happen, but also she was in on it. My mind's blown. Yeah. So they were teaming up against their own family. Correct. Detective McCamus brought Rachel in for another interview to confront Rachel to see what she had to say about this journal entry. He asked her. She had no idea that her mother was going to hurt her father or brother, and she answered no. She had no idea. But then he slid the journal entry in front of her and asked if she recognized this. And that's when her face dropped, and she immediately shifted to, oh shit. And she said it was just a little journal thing. (laughs) and that's i mean what do you say and that's when she knew that she was caught her explanation for the entry was that she had a lot of really bad dreams about her father and brother dying and that's when she told her mother about them which is when diane had confided in rachel that she was thinking about hurting them but that's when the truth started coming out and rachel confessed that she had been helping her mother She said if they killed them, it would be quick and easy. They'd go to heaven soon and they could move on. She confessed they had begun planning this around Christmas time. They had carefully planned and researched. They had explored a bunch of different murder options like suffocation, poisons. They even looked into witchcraft. But ultimately, they landed on that specific type of antifreeze since it was tasteless. Diane would mix the drinks and pass them out. And if the top was already unscrewed, Rachel basically just knew not to drink out of it. It was Diane's initial plan to just kill Mark, but then soon enough she turned her sights to Sean because he irritated her. According to Rachel, they argued about what to do with Sean a lot because Rachel wanted to put him into an assisted living situation, but Diane wanted him out. And same with Sarah. Rachel believed they could have found someplace else for her, but Diane felt that she was a burden and, quote, needed to be taken care of. That was their reasoning. That day, when Rachel was arrested, her purse was searched as well, and in it, a note was found that said, quote, Once upon a time, there were six. Now there are three. Only the quiet ones will be left. My mother, my little sister, and me. You wrote a fucking poem? Yes. Meanwhile, Sarah was still fighting for her life in the hospital. I'm sorry, I just can't believe that this story's real. Yeah, this is unbelievable. The next day, the story of the mother-daughter murderers hit the news like wildfire, and the community was shocked. The public and media expressed disgust over Diane's favoritism toward Rachel, as well as her view of her disabled children as burdens. Something extremely eerie. Apparently after Sean's murder, Rachel had posted a selfie on Facebook of herself sitting cross-legged and smiling with the caption that read, Don't think I've seen mom so chilled out like this in a long time. It's just gross. I, I just can't the believe... The whole thing is, like, she's not showing... Any- she's happy they're gone. She's never been more relaxed. I mean, she has no emotion about it other than joy. It's shocking enough that a mother could do this to her husband and children, 
but it's even more twisted and shocking that like a mother daughter combination exists yeah. in which they're both okay with this they're just killing and actively their family did members it together yeah they're killing their family members one by one just because they're irritated by them who isn't irritated yeah. by their family members everyone <laughs> everyone's Move out everyone's irritated by their family members Move at some out. point they instead of moving out they've chosen murder correct after finding out about the murders mark's friend and bandmate charles recalled that diane never let him into their home although he was always only ever let into their garage like at the most and he remembered seeing the antifreeze and thinking that it was weird that they had antifreeze in the summer isn't that really wow. creepy yeah that's super creepy I mean, who would put it together? No one. I know? mean, no one at all. But it's just really weird that, like, he has that memory, you know? Yeah. One person who wasn't shocked was their pastor, Jeff Sippy. He was the person who initially called the police and gave them the anonymous tip. Oh, wow. The I pastor. thought it was going to be one of the family members. Nope, it was the pastor. Wow. So she confessed to him? No, I don't think she did. Really? Yeah. I think he was giving her like, um, he was trying to be there for her after Mark's death and Sean's death, kind of trying to counsel her a little bit. And she was just like weirdly okay. I don't know what she must have said to him to, to make him believe that she may have been responsible, but she must have said something that kind of tipped him off to it. Yeah. I wonder what it was. But yeah, I mean, good on him. I don't think that they would have figured it out if it weren't for him. I mean, maybe eventually. eventually, but I think one or two more of their family would have died. Who knows? Thankfully, it didn't get that far, though. And very thankfully, Sarah did pull through and survive the attempt at her life, although she did suffer irreversible brain damage and she had to relearn to walk and talk. She did do that and she is progressing well. And when she found out that her mother and younger sister had done this to her, she initially didn't believe that it was true. She thought that they were innocent and were being, like, blamed for it. But after learning the facts of the case and their twisted reasoning for poisoning her, her opinions definitely changed. And apparently before the attempt at her life, Sarah had read her mom's journal and saw written down the deaths of Mark, Sean, and Sarah. And Sarah wasn't dead yet. She read that she was dead. She read that she was, like, planning to kill Sarah, pretty much. Wow. And she asked her mother about it, and Diane said not to worry about it and not to read her journal. <laughs> and so that, uh, she, I don't know. I mean, I guess she just trusted her mother. Yeah, I mean, and I you totally don't think would have too. But... You don't think your mother's going to kill you. like? Yeah, Jesus Christ. I mean, super weird, though. I know. And her response is... Don't worry about it, and don't read my fucking journal. Pretty much. So the question was, why did they take Sarah to the hospital and not let her just die in the house like Mark and Sean? Yeah. Detective McAmos asked Rachel this question, and Rachel said it was not because they had a sudden stroke of guilt and wanted to save Sarah's life, but because she didn't want, quote, another one to die in the house. She said that houses are nasty after someone dies in it. It gives her nightmares. So maybe there's some kind of guilt in there. Maybe there's some layer of I feel bad about this or also it's just. Sounds like she just doesn't want to be haunted. Yeah, right. Maybe that. Maybe also don't kill people. Maybe that, you know, <laughs> it's just messed up. I don't know. Yeah. 
What's even more horrifying was that Rachel and Diane weren't even finished after Sarah. That's what I'm saying. I'm, they had one or two. Brianna. I mean, how many? It's just Brianna left. Just Brianna. Brianna was going to be next. Brianna was only 12. She was 12. Rachel's... You're going to you're gonna kill your 12-year-old daughter? I mean, that's... Rachel said that... How do you even get there? I mean, how do you do how any do of you it? How do you get there? I don't... I don't... I don't know. Rachel's reasoning for Brianna was that she was a burden and they didn't want her around the house. That was their reasoning for all of them. It's like you you don't reach a point of understanding any of this. You know, none of it makes sense. You signed up to raise a kid. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. If you really believe. You would think. I mean, if you're a normal person. Right. You signed up for that. She had Not four her. kids. You had four kids. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Ugh. So thankfully they didn't get that far, but that was their plan if they got away with it. Uh, Rachel said that her mother was the only one who understood her and they wanted it to be just the two of them. But as close as the two of them were, it didn't stop Rachel from throwing her mother under the bus to try to get a lesser sentence for herself when it came down to it in court. Rachel took a plea deal. In exchange for pleading guilty to second-degree murder and testifying against her mother, in case it went to trial, she would not face the death penalty. She was sentenced to two life terms with eligibility for parole after 42 and a half years. So that was Rachel's sentence. Diane was facing the death penalty should she go to court. But instead of facing trial, Diane later pled guilty to one count of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and one count of first-degree assault. In exchange for her guilty plea, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I have to say, justice was done. Yeah, so that was the outcome of that. Six or so years later, Diane did another interview with ABC where she said she was innocent, kind of. Um, She basically, because they asked, like, should you be in prison? Like, are you innocent? And she said, yes and no, which is very vague. Uh, And okay, so (laughs) I'm going to kind of, I'm going to explain. So she said she was guilty of not taking her family to the hospital on time, but she also said she didn't poison her family. She said she can't say who made her do it. It's because it's not safe to say, but there are other people involved. So she's not taking responsibility for what happened at all. And when she's asked about what she wanted to say to Sarah, she said, I'm sorry for what she went through, but I'm also sorry for what everyone has to go through. I'm sorry for what I have to go through. That's what she said. Wow. Isn't that's like the worst apology I think you could. It's not an apology. It's not. I mean, it's not an apology at all, but. I mean, you're just saying like, oh, well, I poisoned you, but, you know, everyone has their crosses to bear. Well, she's not saying she poisoned her so first of all she's taking no responsibility but also she also suggested that diane may have been poisoned like she may have been poisoned even though there was no evidence to suggest that so i mean the whole like second interview with her years later was kind of for nothing she gave it sounds bizarre it was bizarre it was like an hour and a half long and it was the same story but just sprinkled in like her talking about how she can't tell you why she did certain things because it's not safe, but there are other people involved. And it was just like, in my opinion, seemed like a load of bullshit. 
I mean, it's not like she's great at telling the truth. No. At her mother's sentencing, Sarah, who was left with permanent neurological damage and who now has to live in an assisted living facility, read a prepared statement saying she forgave her mother. She said, not only she took away my dad and my brother, she also took away my livelihood and my independence. I prefer to be a survivor than a victim. Diane didn't look at Sarah while she gave her statement in court. However, Rachel was apologetic toward her sister and said, I'm sorry, I couldn't find the courage to stand up for what was right, to go for help, to protect you and our siblings. So at least Rachel apologized. I guess that's something. Yeah. It's unclear what happened to Brianna after the arrest of Diane and Rachel. Uh, She was at the time a minor and had not been poisoned, thankfully, but she was placed in foster care. So hopefully she is doing well and is far away from all of this yeah i mean poor kid i really hope that she ended up in a good foster home absolutely i hope nothing but the best for her sarah lives in an assisted living facility um she has chosen to forgive her mother and rachel for what they did to her because she believes forgiveness is the right thing to do she seems to be doing much better she has learned to play the bass guitar and the violin She has a dream of being a French translator and visiting France. And again, we just wish nothing but the best for her. Yeah, I hope she gets to do that. That's pretty sweet, though. She can play bass and violin. Yeah. That's pretty damn awesome. I know. So that is the story of Sarah Stoudy and the antifreeze murders. Yeah, I mean, this one is another level of just lack of empathy and flippant murder you know what i mean just for almost no reason yeah there's absolutely no good reason it's just so upsetting to say that your children were just pests and you just didn't want them to be around so you decided to murder them yeah i mean i don't know how you get there i mean she was how old when she did this 40 ish Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to me that at that age is when you start to show this behavior. At what age is it appropriate to show this behavior? It's not appropriate at any age. I'm not saying it's appropriate at any age, but it just seems like the manner in which she did everything would suggest that she has no emotion, you know? No empathy. and, and, And this type of stuff would have ended up showing earlier maybe why would you have four children i just i don't understand and then i don't i don't get why rachel was so eager to go along with it i mean i don't know if she was eager i don't really know but she went along with it she did i mean almost i mean she went along with it for all three of her family members yeah according to rachel she put up at least some kind of argument for sean and sarah but Ultimately, Diane won. She didn't put up a big enough fight to the point where they didn't poison them. So it was just so eerie. The two of them were just so monotone in their interviews with police. It's all just bizarre, I guess. And I still, I just, I'm confused and appalled. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things where you don't want to understand it, you know? Yeah, true. But the curiosity is there. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to get out of the land of... Yeah, let's uh, dig ourselves out of this one. Yeah. What is your good thing? 
My good thing is that we made just so much soup. We made a stupid amount of soup yesterday. We kind, did. Kind of on accident, but also kind of on purpose. I mean, we and didn't now, want that much. And now we have a lot of soup. And chicken so, noodle, baby. Chicken noodle and also chicken potato. And now we have soup. <laughs> so much. So much soup. And now that's my good but it thing. was good. It was, it was good. really good. Hey, soup. Uh, it's good on a cold day, and it's been chilly, and that's my good thing. What's your good thing? Uh, I got a nice bottle of wine hey. over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I'm usually, I've never been a wine drinker. You have not. But the past couple weeks, have I've turned a new leaf because I've had a couple of glasses of wine that I've actually enjoyed. And that's very exciting for me. Yeah, and you're pumped. I am. You are very excited, but I bought a bottle of wine for myself and yeah. us, really, but... You know, and for I've me never, too. yeah, right. Mostly for you, but also for me. <laughs> but I've never done that, and I'm like actually excited for it. Yeah, so, you know, it's a it's it, a bottle of a Gavi de Gavi. For those yeah, of you wondering, it's an Italian good. white wine from Northern Italy. Oh, go off! I think I don't. Remember, I don't know, but but it makes it's me just, sound cooler. Yeah, it's an Italian white wine. For those of you wondering, and it's quite good. Check it yeah. out, Gavi so de Gavi. My good thing is a new thing. So. Hell yeah. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nasa underscore podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episodes that we have up, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. If you have a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>